There's incredible personal freedom in truth, yet we spend so much of our lives showing up the way we think we should. The ways that will make our parents happy, our colleagues respect us, society at large accept us, and of course, the ways that will make us look good on Instagram and social media. In My Truth is the antidote to the shoulds. Be a fly on the wall as my guests and I dive into the untruths we're currently living with and work through them together in real time. I'm Sarah Regalhuth, your host, and as I recently updated my Instagram bio to read, I'm not one thing, but many. Professionally, I run Grow My Team. I'm one of the co-founders of the League of Extraordinary Women, but personally, I'm a lot more than that. Last year, I moved through a breakdown. I also moved through a breakup. I also changed my entire career professionally, sold my company, ended 17 years in financial planning, a lot of change. During this period, I had a strong calling to share what was going on for me, to share it publicly on my blog, on my social media. I don't know why, but I really felt that it was important to open up these conversations and share with people what was really happening behind the scenes of my life. This sharing resulted in a lot of people reaching out to me to have deep conversations. And I started imagining what would it look like if other people could listen in on these conversations? What healing could come from that? I knew that I was healing. I knew the people I was having conversations with were healing. And I really felt that if other people could listen to these conversations, to what was happening in real time, as we worked through things, that healing would come for many. And so on a drive from Vancouver to Colorado, a pilgrimage, I would say, where I was moving my life back to the state that has called my heart since the first moment I ever set foot in there, this podcast, In My Truth, was born. It feels healing and growing for me. I believe it's healing and growing for my guests. And I feel that there will be healing and growing for you, my listeners. So let's dive in. Quick disclaimer before we dive in, what we talk about on In My Truth tends to be very raw and can be triggering. I have included in the show notes links to resources and places where you can get support and help if you do find yourself triggered by what we talk about. Welcome fam to this week's episode of In My Truth. Actually, it's pretty funny. I always say this week, I have a backlog of about 14 episodes right now that need to be edited and put out. So there has been a little time between, but I do usually re- release them weekly. So welcome to this week's episode. I have my friend Kelly Campbell here with me. We were introduced recently through a client and friend of mine, Joe Summer. And um, I think we, by the time we got in touch, we couldn't even remember why we were meeting, I think, <laughs> if, if I remember correctly. And then we ended up talking about some business stuff and a referral program you have. And then all of a sudden we connect on Instagram. Then we realize like we had a lot more to talk about than just the business stuff, which has been way more been pretty cool. Um, Joe also introduced me to another guy, Sam K, but we had the same situation. And then we were like, Oh my gosh, you're amazing. And he's ended up joining the Aubrey Marcus fit for service program. And so shout out to you, Joe. I don't even know if you've listened to my podcast, but you're introducing me to some cool people. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome Kelly. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Well, thank you first of all for having me on the show. I'm, uh, have become a recent fan. I guess we could say that (laughs) I am an agency transformation coach. So I work mostly with creative leaders to help them figure out how to get a little bit more find, I guess, find their purpose and discover a little bit more fulfillment Mm -hmm. in their lives and in their work. 
Um, and maybe you ran an agency beforehand, right? I did. Yeah. yeah, I ran an agency. It was a digital marketing agency for um, nonprofits, foundations, and CSR initiatives for mm -hmm. about 14 years. And then I sold that in 2016. And that was literally like the, the beginning of the beginning, mm -hmm. I guess I'll call it. That was really the impetus for sort of a spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. And you know, it just, it led me into a completely different path in life. And um, I really feel like like the coaching work that I'm doing right now is so purposeful mm -hmm. um, and so rewarding and just really fulfilling. And I feel like being in service of others is definitely sort of my, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. It just mm -hmm. feels really in alignment. I love that. And I love how these big moments in our life can transform us and therefore transform like the work we want to do and the way that we show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think I had 17 years in finance and my journey of like selling that last financial planning company to my ex-husband it was and like tr finishing off that chapter in my life. Like there was a lot of, I guess there was a level of ego death that happened, a level of like saying goodbye to this thing that I'd attached as my identity, mm. but also a, a rebirth of wanting to help people who are still doing that professionally and the things that I'd learned and the things that I was able to kind of bring to the table afterwards. I'm consulting to a financial planning company out of Canada right now. And I actually really love the work. Like I love that I'm not, I don't, I'm glad I'm not doing that work anymore because I feel like my time with that has passed yeah. and that chapter was closed, but I really love being able to be on the other side and just talk them through it and see them where they're at. And, and as you're saying, like more as humans, as leaders, not so much, like I do consult with them on like the strategy of their company and it's, it's all fun, but a lot of it comes from, comes back to like, who are you and where do you want to be? And like, how is this business serving you and how are you bringing, showing up for the business? How's it showing up for you? How is it all complementing and making things like yeah. better in your life? Not so much just like, okay, how can we make like the most amazing financial planning company? Like, I don't know, because I think our journey as entrepreneurs is a personal journey really like it's yeah. super fun to build a company and bring it to life but if it's not something that we're passionate about that we care about that's adding value to our lives it can like really be destructive it can really burn us out um i just think there's yeah i could go on and on on tangent yeah. about that stuff but. yeah and and same for me it's like in the beginning when i sold the agency and then i was like all right what am i going to do i was like i'll just be an agency growth consultant mm -hmm. and that's sort of like what people were googling i was like i'm great at seo that's what i'm going to name my llc there's yeah. going to be agency growth consultant everywhere and actually that did work so yeah. it was a good strategy but about a year and a half into it i realized there's so much more to the story mm -hmm. and doing the business development strategies and looking at operations and systems and processes like that does not feed my soul no at all yeah i'll do it because there's value in it and they're paying good money, right? But the, the bigger, more valuable component for me and I think to them, ultimately mm -hmm. the impact was so much more about yeah. the transformation that they were going through as individuals, as leaders, becoming the leaders that their teams wanted to follow, yep. um, carving out time for themselves, carving out time to spend with their families uh, on passion projects, mm -hmm. whatever it was, really identifying like, do I want to own this agency? Who do I, who am I as a person? What is my purpose? Like sort of like, I, I mean, it sounds funny or cliche, but like, what is the meaning of my life? Totally. And so I started working with people in that context mm -hmm. and um, I was sort of going through the same thing at the same time. What I liked about what you said though, and it's sort of a perfect segue for what we wanted to talk about today is really this concept of 
integration, mm-hmm. right? So like we can't be entrepreneurs and, and business people in one silo and then be humans in another, no. right? Like that oh, doesn't work. I just got work. goosebumps because that is so fucking true. It doesn't work. No. There has to be an integration. And I even hate the term work-life balance mm. because that is a misnomer. Well, like work is part of our life. It's right. not like work and then life. Right. It's, it's almost like, like I, I've, I've said this in like keynote presentations. I have like this um, scales of justice and I have mm-hmm. work on one one side and life on the other. I'm like, well, what does work-life balance mean? It means you have these two things that you're going to try to do equally on opposing ends of each other. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Why do we keep calling it that? So I think it's more about the integration of the two of those things. Um, and you know, anything that has uh, a polarity to it, once you start to integrate that, whether it's work and life, feminine, masculine, whatever that is, it's all about integration. Totally. That is so interesting. You just triggered for me a memory that actually feels like now something's going to be put in motion. So I'm going to speak it because it's interesting. My ex-husband and I went to Sedona probably, it was before we lived in the US. So it must've been six or seven years ago. And we wrote a book called, um, life, but the, the way that the cover was going to be laid out was work life balance with a cross through work and a cross through balance. Cause we were like, the message was like, it's just life. And I'm like, I love that. I, we wrote it. We, we hold ourselves up for a week or something and we, we did chapter each and then we edited each other's chapters. I mean, we'd plan mapped yeah. out the book and what we wanted to say and how we had created our life. Cause we never viewed any of it as work. I mean, even when we were like working out butts off in the traditional sense, like we loved every ounce of what we were doing and we're always pushing boundaries and challenging convention. And we kind of put this book together and I have not gone back and read it. We never did anything with it. I don't exactly know why. I think we pitched it at one point to my old publisher in Australia, but they wanted some more work on it. And then we just, it just kind of went to the wayside, but I feel like something just sparked and I want to go back to it. And him and I have actually just started reforming a friendship, which is interesting. We needed to take a little time out for a while and um, we're sort of consciously like edging our way back into that. So I don't know. I feel like some little ripple effect maybe just happening yeah, from that conversation. Cool. So let's see. Anyway, let's dive into what we are here to talk about today. What are you, where are you at? What are you working through? What's coming up? Oh man. So um, I am five months into living um, on my own. Um, just ended my marriage about two months ago or so, Mm -hmm. two or three months ago. Um, Everything's sort of a blur um, Mm -hmm. in this grieving mourning period process. You're fucking in it right now. I am like so in it. So in it, yeah. So in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think even though I was the one who ended the marriage, it's, it's still incredibly difficult. There's a lot of feelings of like, shame and failure and guilt and like just a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. that's coming up. Um, One of the really interesting things that has recently happened is that um, a lot of people are saying like, okay, it's 2020. This is the year of vision. Mm. Um, For me, I'm using a different word. It's vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just published a piece on medium. That was probably the most vulnerable piece. And I know I shared it with you. I read it this morning in full. I I glanced at it when you first shared it, but I I came back to it and it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. So I ended up sharing that um, on my mother's birthday, which was um, just a, a couple of days ago. And I felt like it was the best way to honor the, the love that she intended mm-hmm. to give me. She had the intention of providing, mm-hmm. but just wasn't able to. Yeah. And because that's at the core, you know, I have such like pretty deep um, or have historically had 
um, pretty deep mother wounding. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a good way to honor her yep. by publishing that. And also it was really healing and really cathartic. And then, you know, I shared this with thousands and thousands of people on LinkedIn and I know it's thousands cause I can <laughs> see all the views and, um, it's, it was scary, but it was also really, really healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's all about vulnerability. And so one of the things I've been working with uh, a Buddhist psychology coach mm-hmm. and a shadow work coach mm-hmm. separately um, for the last, I don't know, eight to 10 months. And one of the things that just came up this week, literally right after I shared that piece or the same day or, you know, in the last 36 hours was this idea of at what point in my life did I sort of step away from my true nature. Mm. And I really started thinking about what my understanding and identification was with femininity. Mm-hmm. And the portrayal of femininity to me was my mother mm-hmm. who had um, narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So really into, you know, excessive attention, um, really lacking empathy, if, if people aren't familiar with that disorder, terrible relationship um, dynamics. There was so much control and manipulation and um, dishonesty and all of these things that, to me, that was like my understanding as a young girl mm-hmm. understanding like what femininity what being a woman looks like what yeah. being a woman looks like mm. so she wore the high heels and she had long hair and she was pretty mm-hmm. so that made sense to me because yeah. that, that checked out with everything that I was seeing in society sure. yeah. but then um sort of at home and even how she was in relation to her friends and family all of those other things were part of femininity to me yeah. and so of course from a pretty young age I was like fuck that. I don't want to be anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I came out when I was 19 Mm -hmm. and up until that point I had been, um, sort of like the perfect child in many ways. Um, straight A's captain of all the sports teams, Mm -hmm. honor society, scholarship to college, didn't drink or do drugs, smoke cigarettes, like literally nothing. I think I, I don't even know if I, yeah, I think the first time that I like slept with my first boyfriend, I was like 18, mm. which is like pretty old. That's pretty old. Right? Yeah, I was definitely fucking when I was like 15 <laughs> or something. So, um, you know, and I don't know, I just felt like I couldn't do enough mm-hmm. to like earn her love. And so that like really fucked me up for a long time. Mm. Um, when I came out, she basically said that I was disgusting. She used that word. Yeah, I'm so sorry. And it was like, oh, wait a minute, this actually makes sense now. Now I've actually given her, in her mind, like a concrete reason not to love me because Mm -hmm. in her mind, that was broken, that was negative, that was all of those things that like society wouldn't, you know, society or or people, let's just say people would start to question Mm -hmm. what what did the mother do wrong? Yeah, right. So it was all about her. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the first couple of girls that I dated were like pretty feminine, Mm. you know, long hair, really cute. And was that, had you, do you identify at that time looking back now, is that, did you step into like a more masculine, when we're talking about this energy? And that's kind of where I was going. Like in the beginning, I was like, I, I still felt 
fairly feminine. Uh huh. Um, it wasn't that long before that that I was still dating guys yeah. and loved being with guys, mm-hmm. like loved being in a relationship with men, loved um, sleeping with men. Like none of that, none of that was the the issue, mm. right? Um, I think if I'm if I'm really thinking about it, like the first couple of girlfriends that I had were more feminine, and then it was right at this this like moment that I realized that I had to let my mother go out of my life mm-hmm. in order for me to be healthy, in order for me to actually live and not end up like in a ditch somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, once I realized that I had to do that, my pendulum swung the other way and I started being really attracted to very androgynous and very masculine women mm-hmm. because that gave me the permission to be that way. Mm. And what I'm uncovering now is that um, that felt like sort of like a little bit of this ego death that we talk about or like needing to protect my psyche, needing to protect my heart mm-hmm. from this, this experience of literally like parental loss, mm-hmm. but like a ripping, ripping parental loss, mm-hmm. you know? So, and a reject, a loss triggered by like, it, it sounds like you were the one to say, I, I can't have my mother in my life, but it was because of, a feeling of like total rejection of who you were or total. So it wasn't so much just the, the rejection. Um, I'll be really specific about this. It wasn't necessarily just the rejection uh-huh. of me coming out as um, identifying as gay. It was much, much more so because I could have worked that through that. Right. Right. Yeah. We could have got her into P flag. We could have like, <laughs> it would have been fine. The bigger issue was that I knew that our relationship was so strained for so long. And, and I think at that point, around 19, I, I also knew what I was working with yeah. for as best as you can understand sure. that in terms of the, the mental illness. For me, I had to wrap my head around the fact that the last interaction that I had with her, it was like, I knew that we needed to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Like I knew we needed to either try to repair this relationship with someone else who could help us because we couldn't clearly couldn't do that ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I made the appointment. I said, I'll pay for it. I'll make it after work. I'll make it close to, you know, your home. I will take care of everything. And so I got her to the point where she was agreeing to go. Mm -hmm. And then a couple days before the first appointment, she called and said, "Um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make it. And I said, you're not going to be able to make it like for this appointment or you're not going to be able to make it like ever. Mm. And I said, before you answer that, you understand what, what the difference is. We can reschedule. Mm -hmm. No problem. If you're saying you are never going to go to therapy, you're never going to want to repair this relationship, then it's pretty much over. Mm. And she goes, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make it ever. Damn. So at that point it was like, I had to enact like the most uh, serious form of boundary setting Mm. in the world. So that's why it it was ultimately her decision, but yeah, also my boundaries. Because you had boundaries. Yeah. Because you were saying, Hey, I'm not just going to like live in our toxic cycle. I'm going to put it out there that we either need to change it or exit. So, you know, and she, I mean, to her credit, at least, was just like, well, I can't, I don't know if that's to her credit or what it is, but like, yeah. at least it was I honest. Mean, it was honest. Yeah. That, that in itself, you know, all I mean, I've ever wanted was honesty. From well, and group. most people that are caught in addiction or, 
you know, just very toxic cycles and behaviors, they, they find it really hard to be honest because they don't also want to accept that that is their truth and their reality. So, yeah, it's fear of exposure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's, I mean, wow. That yeah. was like, I was quite enraptured by that story. Yeah. Um, but that's intense. So, I think, so that was like a big big moment yeah you know and then I think that that just sort of set the trajectory for mm-hmm. the rest of my life so I've been trying to like unravel all of that yeah and it's yeah. fascinating I think I can what comes up for me I was around 19 when I started repairing my relationship with my father so mm-hmm. my my dad left us when I was about 10 and I can through my ayahuasca experience recently as well I really clearly now understand where I stepped into a masculine energy and it was a masculine energy that was very much like firstly there was this like raging angry teenage boy type energy that I carried like most of my teen years I totally had that too yeah (laughs) and then like like literally shed it in my ayahuasca ceremony (laughs) just recently so 28 years later um but you know there was also this very the masculine energy of like protection and responsibility and I'm responsible for my little sister and my mom my mom's not coping blah blah And so then at about 19 was when I had this very like logical rationalization and understanding of what had happened between my parents and that humans are humans. And I was like, well, you know, I get it. Like my dad had an affair and and he didn't know how to quite manage that. So it was a bit of a spectacular blow up, but ultimately he's a human being. That's what happens. And we still had a relationship and I I kind of made a choice at that point to actively re-engage that relationship and forgive him. And I thought that I had done all the work that needed to be done around that. And it really hasn't been until 20 years later, almost the last couple of year or two that I've really understood like, uh, someone needs to go back and help like little 10 year old Sarah and little 13 year old Sarah and little six year old Sarah, because she is not a logical, rational being. She's a little girl with needs. She's not fully independent and responsible for herself. Mm. She was needing and relying on her parents to help her and be her caretakers. And, you know, at those points in time, even though they did their best, they weren't able to be there. So it's really fascinating to like actually dive back into the, like, who was I as that little girl and how is that showing up for me now? Like it's still, I can feel I'm, I'm so much more, in touch with the feelings of that when my little girl shows up when I'm in conflict. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is not me. This is like triggering this deep wound and it's getting less and less with all of the work I'm doing, thank goodness. But I feel it like I'll be having an argument. It happened like two weeks ago with a guy that I've been seeing and we were having a, not an argument, but a little conflict. And all of a sudden I started thinking about my dad and crying. It's like, fucking irrelevant to the situation but But it popped up because I was obviously retracting into some need I was being triggered into this feeling of this need not being met and I I start feeling like this need for my dad and that's shown up a lot for me with men throughout my life and I used to just feel like it was just this spiral whereas now I'm like oh I can see what that is and I can stop a little bit and I vocalize it now which is really like especially when it's like new people you're dating you're just like oh man (laughs) but like that guy was great and he's He's, he's a good dude. He's stuck with me on it. So, yeah. Um, wow. So you are really right in the middle of a lot of stuff and it's, um, it's but it's hard. also, you know, it is hard, but it's also like, there's something so beautiful about it. There is. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh my God, I, I didn't realize until I looked back at like what that time marker was. Mm-hmm. Like, when did I go from, okay, cool. Like I'm gay. I was pretty comfortable with that after I, you know, hashed it all out started dating, you know, 
women, everything was seemed okay. And then all of a sudden it was like my, that point of attraction just changed. Mm -hmm. I was like, why am I so attracted to like these more masculine, more androgynous women? And then I noticed like I started wearing different clothes. Mm -hmm. I was shopping in men's stores. Mm -hmm. I was wearing men's shoes. I was talking a little bit differently. I was more guarded. Um, the way that I, you know, I, I was a, owned my own company starting at like 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And the way that I started out was like very much like I can do it all. Yeah. I can do everything. Um, I mean, I got better as a leader mm -hmm. over the 14 years that mm -hmm. I had the company, but yeah, that was definitely a process. Mm -hmm. um, and in regard to that process, where do you feel right now? Like, um, in terms of the leadership or in no, terms of the, the, like who you are, like, yeah, the this. things about like who you're attracted to. And yes. I, I, something was coming up for me with that. Like when we have a type, it's like, whoa, damn, that's like our shit, right? Like that's yeah. like, that's not actually just like a random reason. I'm just randomly attracted to that type of people. It's like, no, yeah. when you've got a type and it's that strong, yeah. it's usually some There's past yeah. thing. Um, but yeah. Where are you, where are you at with like, so I guess, uh, the feminine energy side. Yeah. So literally right now it's, it's, and this is why this is such like a timely, very interesting mm. conversation is that once I looked back and I realized like what that marker, that time marker was, and I looked back at all of the women that were androgynous mm -hmm. and, and masculine, it got more and more and more and more mm -hmm. of that masculine energy mm -hmm. of what I was attracting into my life, what I was attracted to you know, women who were just a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. They were not soft and nurturing. They were a little guarded. That felt safe for me, mm. right? So now after kind of really diving into a lot of this stuff and just being in it, like you're saying, I've noticed that anyone who's coming into my life, like new people that I'm meeting through work or friends or what have you that are more androgynous or, or are more masculine, it's not at all a turn on mm. super nice people like attractive mm -hmm. for sure like beautiful beautiful people inside and out but my point of attraction is leaning so much more to the feminine mm -hmm. which is wild to me <laughs> it's beyond wild it's a whole and new experience it's a whole new experience and i think it's because just like it what happened you know early on it's like now i'm being given permission i hate mm -hmm. using that terminology but that's what it feels like so i'm like being given permission to go back to what my true nature is, which yeah. is very soft. Mm. It's very um, empathetic. It's very communicative, right? It's, um, it's, it's fluid in a way, mm -hmm. um, I guess, sexually and on every level. Um, the receptivity part of, of femininity is the thing that I'm kind of struggling with because I've mm -hmm. always been more like, in Buddhism, they say, um, you know, doing is a masculine aspect, mm -hmm. being is a feminine aspect. So I've definitely been more of a doer. Yeah. So being uh, on the receptive end of things and just being and like understanding what beingness really means and what it is, that's kind of the thing that I'm working on right now. But I'm really kind of like gravitating toward that true nature, which is a healthy version of femininity, a divine femininity. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is just so the work that I've been doing the last year and ayahuasca has been such a gift to me. And I mean, I think there are so many ways that we can understand so many tools and it just happens to be the tool that, that works for me. But um, my first ayahuasca 
the very profound ceremony I had in my first retreat at Saltara, which was in May last year, was very much about reconnecting with my true nature. And for me, it was, there is, uh, the, the understanding I had, it's actually irrelevant about what is my true nature, but the understanding I had was when I'm not in my true nature, things are not working. They're not in balance. So as, as for what you're, you're how, to, to kind of put that overlay of uh, onto what you're explaining, like if your true nature is a more balanced, divine, masculine and feminine, which I would say all of us are ultimately, if we can come back to that, right. you know, when you're in that place, like there is so much more fluidity around what you could and couldn't be attracted to and right. probably much more healthy attractions right. and, and life is just more in flow and in balance. But when we're not like those are like, when we're out of balance, when we're not in our nature, we're going against our intuition. We're going against our higher being, our mm-hmm. higher self who does always know what, what is right for us and right. what is truth. And, you know, the wheels just start falling off because ultimately, even if it feels okay for a while, like it's going to explode because it's just, it's not, we're not in our nature. And there is a lot of healing work to do to get back there. And there's just a lot of listening to self, like connection with self. And since I, since my first ayahuasca retreat, like I've barely been drinking alcohol very much because I just need to be clear in my energy and my connection with self because my biggest issue throughout my life has been going against my intuition. And I feel like right now, like things are coming together literally right now. Like the reasons for me even being like in New York city, for example, which is where we currently are catching up. Like all of it is very conscious and I'm having these like conscious um, all the relationships in my life now, friends and everything feel like they're just very more, very much more in alignment, more conscious. We're able to move through any points of contention, any conflict. Mm. And that's goes the same for the relationship I have with myself. Mm. Um, you know, last weekend I was struggling with, um, feelings of, I just, well, I was struggling and then I decided to invite those feelings in and what really were they? And I realized like I was having these emotions of, regret and thinking about how I left my marriage, for example, Mm. and how my relationship with my ex-partner ended and just different things that I'm in right now and different, even friendships. And I started really feeling like, oh, like maybe I did know better. Like if based on this concept that we're talking about of like our true nature and our higher being, like I, I did know better actually. And that's okay as well. Like for whatever reason, I did do my best at the time because of all the other shit going on and everything I was feeling. But like I allowed and I invited in the feeling of like, I do regret making that decision or acting that way. And I, I'm okay with that. Like, and that was fucking beautiful for me because I have never let regret in. My ego has been too big and I've very been very quick and grateful to just adopt the whole, like, no regrets. It got me to where I am and we all learned and here we are. And, and like, that is fundamentally true at the core. And, and when I strip it all back, yes, I will land in that place. But like, there is some space for just sitting with, that was a fucking shitty thing you did. That was a shitty decision. That was not courageous. That was not brave. And what I found by opening up that space last weekend and crying and letting it out and writing it down and fucking sending it to some people to say sorry, um, which is another thing I'll talk about in a moment, but I found like all this space to open up for me to be more conscious in the decisions I'm making today. Absolutely. And this is literally a week ago and I can see, or not even a week ago, what day is it? It's it's Thursday. It was on the weekend just gone and I'm already seeing the positive impact. 
I'm so much more attached to the reality that everything we do has a consequence. Mm. You know, when I was living by this no regrets thing, it was almost like permission for me to just do whatever the fuck I want yeah. because no regrets. Mm. And I'm like, oh damn, like now that I have allowed myself to sit in the regret of the past, I'm allowing myself to sit with the consequences I'm currently dealing with of past actions and just be like, from this moment, I can choose better. I can be more conscious. I can engage the people involved in like consciously moving through something versus just like one, trying to do it alone and navigate or manipulate or, you know, I don't identify as an overly manipulative person, but I think we all have traits of like trying to not hurt people and not get things wrong and find our way through it with the least destruction, but it's not truth. And the more that we can actually just open up the space for what is actually happening and have those conversations on the table, it's like we can then start to actually make better decisions. That's like, I'm literally in the middle of it and it feels, I have this sense. I'm so grateful for that moment of allowing regret in because it feels like it's shifted my whole life. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about is like the fact that you were bypassing I for was. so long. Yeah. And once you stop bypassing and you actually just like feel into those emotions and then let them sort of like, I won't say wash over you, but sort of wash through you. Yeah. Um, acknowledge them, observe them, let them do whatever they're going to do to you internally and then like start to release them, whether mm-hmm. that's crying or journaling or all of it. And then you can start to actually like let them go. Mm-hmm. That's where like, to me, that's like magic. Oh, it's amazing. And, and one of the things I did was I was started journaling and I was like, I was really in it. And I started writing about the things in my last relationship that I was sorry for. And I was just thinking, you're such a shitty human. And I was like, you know, all of the negative stuff, but I wrote it all out. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for when I lied. I'm sorry that I wasn't brave enough to sit in the results of my lies. I'm sorry. You know, and then this thought came to me like, what if you just shared it with him? And I was like, like I'm going to throw up in my (laughs) mouth or something. But then I was like, oh, well, that means you have to. Like if it's that uncomfortable. And I mean the poor guy's just trying to get on with his life probably. And I'm like texting him through these like journal pages of I'm sorry's. But the gift in it was, you know, a lot of the time when I get caught and hung up and stuck on some of the things that happened in our relationship, which was such a fucking gift overall. But I would sit there in my lower, lower vibe moments being like, Oh, that thing was so painful. Like I just want him to know how much it hurt me. And I just want him to say sorry. (laughs) And like what I realized in my moment on the weekend was like, I can create the thing that I want. The thing that I want is acknowledgement and apologies and like, but I can give that just freely. And then I've actually created it energetically in my world. I don't need it to come from him. And when I did it, it was like my need for receiving anything from him is just completely fucking dissipated. Mm -hmm. I was like, damn, like, that's amazing. Like give the thing that you want and not in a way of like, if I do this, maybe he'll do it back. Like no, that, it's not that conditional was, that was, at all. There was no even thought of that. Right. It was more like the way that I guess if I want love in my life, I should, give I, it. well not should, but I, I'll give it. Like if I give love in the world, if I want open vulnerable conversation, I will have that and it will come back to me. If I want affection, like, 
you know, physical affection, like be physical. I'm very physically affectionate. So I'll hug my friends, which means, you know, I'm kind of getting a hug back unless they're like, Hey, <laughs> back off, which does happen sometimes. <laughs> but generally like I'll then start to, if we give, give what we, if we give to the world, what we want, we ultimately start attracting it back. Yeah, that's it. And Oh man, it was like such a beautiful thing. So I ended up, I've done a similar thing with my ex-husband and I, I then was talking to another friend and she, she told me that she does it with her coaching clients actually. And she explained to me that she went through a process of like um, an audit one day, like the same thing just came to her where she was like, what, where do I not have clear energy where I'm like wishing for some kind of reconciliation? And she went through and then she just spoke all of her like, I'm sorry's or please forgive me's or whatever my regrets to the people. And I was like, Oh, I think I'm going to do that. So that's everyone can stay tuned because I think I'm going to do that over the next week or so. I don't really feel like there's a lot of, um, I feel like all my energy is really clear, but like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to sit there and be like, is there anything shitty that I can apologize for? Because I've always been really on the defensive and I'd like to just take that element out and say, I'm sorry to people without any justification of why I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like what comes up for me is like this aspect of giving mm -hmm. without any attachment to um, to uh, something that's going to happen because of yeah. That, if right? I say like any this, causation, if I frame it this way, you know, maybe I'll get that thing. Yeah, back. like zero attachment. Yeah. Just like if I want this in my life, then this is what I'm going to give, and just be really authentic about and genuine about like that giving, and then and completely. Uh, detached from any particular outcome of that, however it lands with them, whatever they choose to do with that, how they respond to you or not respond to you. And that's it. I mean, back to true nature, right? Like if you're really in alignment with who you are, and that could be, you know, sort of um, a different ratio of integration of feminine and masculine, right? However that shows up for you. I think if you, if you put that out there yeah, and that's just who you are, you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. You know, I love this conversation about true nature and, and tying that into that feminine masculine energy and yeah. then overlaying that with like sexuality and realizing in this world, like we've got it all so fucked up. Like, so fucked you know, up. if you are, if your sexual preference is women, then you will be more masculine. And if your sexual preference is men, then you'll be more feminine. Like none yeah. of that is real. Like, yeah. and then in, I mean, I, I don't even know what I would identify as bisexual. Probably I'm mostly um, date men, but I do, I am very much attracted mm -hmm. to and interested and open to dating women, but like I've spent most of my life in a masculine energy and now I'm rediscovering my feminine. It's actually got nothing to do with my sexuality no. yet. Nothing you know, to do with sexuality or gender. No. And even in a relationship dynamic or in life, I can be masculine in this aspect and then maybe not in my sexual nature or with different partners I could be in a more masculine or And that's the fluidity and, that yeah. I'm sort of talking about. Because we actually all have both of it yeah. and it's understanding it, embracing it, healing the toxic masculine, healing the toxic feminine so that what exists is the true nature of the divine masculine, divine, the divine feminine yeah. and allowing it to, because I think what I've really uncovered is like the, the flow aspect of my feminine, but I'm so grateful for my very honed masculine practice because it, it helps me get things done. Like mm -hmm. this morning I'm lying in bed and chatting with my marketing manager, co-creating talking about ideas and concepts we're going to put into grow my team in the business. 
And then I got off the phone and I had this moment of like, oh, I just want to roll over and I just want to like lie in this sunshine and I want to cuddle this beautiful man that's next to me. But I was like, no, like you've got to like put into place some of the things that you just beautifully flowingly created. You got to do versus be. And so I tapped that masculine energy and I punched out some content, sent it off to her and then I rolled over and had a cuddle. So So that was a perfect example of integration. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, it's a journey to integrate and understand it all, but it's, and I'm shifting rapidly on it. I can feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is definitely an interesting conversation because I'm right at that, that cross section or that like juncture of, wow, I'm really coming back to myself when it's something that I felt so uncomfortable about my entire life. Um, I will also share with you that I was so uncomfortable with my femininity Um, around that time when I had that interaction with my mother. But two years after that, I ended up having a breast reduction that Mm. was totally medically unnecessary. Um, I didn't have large breasts or anything, but I knew enough about how I felt. Um, I didn't want to be as female as my body conveyed that I was. Mm. I didn't want to be as curvaceous. I didn't want to, it had nothing to do with like me feeling like I was male it had nothing to do with feeling like really tapped into that masculine energy. I didn't feel like any gender questioning mm-hmm. it wasn't anything to do with that. It was literally just, I don't want to feel or look this feminine. A rejection of the feminine versus a trying I mean, into to be masculine. Yeah. It was just a rejection of, and that was the thing that was like the most obvious way to reject it. And I don't, and now so many years later, um, I don't regret that I did it because I do, you know, like how I look, but I think back at that and I wonder if, um, if that whole situation hadn't happened, if I would have actually gone through with that. Mm. So that's also something that's been coming up. And it's letting that regret in, even though you don't regret it, but let it just tapping back to that moment and seeing for what it was, Mm -hmm. why you made the decision and just being like, and I was hell bent on doing it. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't even have the money for it. I borrowed the money for it you know, and I did it. And again, like now I'm very happy that I did it, but I wonder if the energy behind the reason why I did it would have been different had I not had that experience. Mm, Totally. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I think it's good for us to question all these things and allow us to sit back in who was I when I made that decision and like, what was driving it? Especially those things that we where we're very driven. Yeah. They're usually the things that like, okay, what was there? Because when we get such a fire in us to do something, you know, I mean, it could be a really positive, like I want to change the world, but oftentimes I know in my entrepreneurial career, like the first sort of most of my career until I was in my early thirties, I was just fucking very driven to prove that I was worthy because, you know, my dad had <laughs> I can't relate to that and, at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I did some really cool stuff and it was amazing, but it's really nice to be operating operating from a place now where it's not about proving, it's more about creating and what can totally. I gift and give. And and the the honest to God truth is like I'm not as fiery as I used to be. Like I'm not as driven as I used to be. And that's something I've been reconciling the last couple of weeks because I can feel myself like I love everything I do at work. Absolutely love it. I love my team. I love what we're creating, but I do not have the same fire in my belly that I used to. And I'm just trying to integrate, settle into that and accept that like, yeah, because I'm not 
trying to prove, I'm not trying to escape, trying to run, trying to be something, which is unattainable. Like nothing is ever satisfying when you're operating from that place. Right. And that's sometimes why you achieve so much because it's like done, next, done, next, done, next, done. Next. There's an addictive quality to it. Totally. Yep. You know, it's like, how many things can I check how off much? of my to-do list or my task list? And like, when is it ever enough? My, my ex-wife used to say like, you have to celebrate the small wins. Like you never celebrate the small wins. You could have gotten this award or, you know, this new client contract or whatever. And I used to brush it off the mm-hmm. table. Like, okay, great. On to the next thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was terrible about taking compliments. Yeah. And I think that that's part of that too. It is. And I think when we're acting unconsciously, in many ways, it's easy because we're not thinking about anything. We're just doing, we're just doing that thing trying to run away from the other thing without really knowing what any of the things are. We're just kind of Mm -hmm. acting like that. Whereas when we act more consciously now I'm like, I can feel like I explained this morning about my, my morning of work about, I could feel my feminine energy. I could feel my masculine. I had to make decisions to harness them to, to move forward. Like there's no unconsciousness about that. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's a different way of existing that there's a lot more thought behind versus just being in unconscious activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's different. And I've been, like I said, I feel like the proving did stop a while ago and then there was just a lot of stuff going on. And now I'm like sitting with it all. My, my whole career changed. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And it's, it's really been the last sort of 12 months and into this year where I'm like, wow, this is my new, like, I love everything I'm working on. I love my team. I love everything. And I don't have that same fucking edge I used to and just being like okay with where I'm at right now and just you're softening yeah and it's been scary yeah because it's not your your zone of familiarity yeah yeah I'm dating this amazing entrepreneur guy fellow entrepreneur entrepreneur guy (laughs) (laughs) I really like him get nervous um but you know I was talking to him about it I'm like damn I just don't don't have my edge but he's been an entrepreneur for I think 20 years or something. So, you know, we can talk about it and he can relate. And I think that's really nice and important to surround yourself with people who are on similar journeys to you because, um, you know, we, our lives are constantly in motion. We're constantly moving and evolving, especially if we're growth oriented in our nature of wanting to ascend and understand who we are as people. Like there's just so many shifts happening always that we then have to integrate. So, you know, that's the thing as well where I'm at right now. I'm like, I've done so much personal work the last 12 months. Yeah. I'm like, it's actually time to just let some of it settle yeah. and stop. That's actually kind of <laughs> where I'm feeling right now because it's like with everything that's been happening in my life and all of this like really, really intense work that mm-hmm. I've been doing myself um, from a Buddhist psychology perspective, like diving into shadow work, trying to heal mother wound, like mm-hmm. Wow. It's like, it's super overwhelming. And I think the message that I'm sort of getting for this year is like, take the time to really just be, Yeah, you know, and just kind of like sit in it, appreciate it, feel through it and just kind of let it sort of settle in, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and that feels a little uncomfortable because I'm used to having that more masculine doing Dude, energy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, oh. we create like our personal development plans become, or our, our healing plans plans yeah. become like checklists. And remember when I split up with my ex, I put a fucking whiteboard plan together about how I was going to get over this, like, and do the work <laughs> and heal. And I looked at that it. That is hysterical. I looked at it a few months later. I was like, God damn. <laughs> like, <what the> fuck? <laughs> well, it sort of reminds me of, um, did you ever read um, Solve for Happy? 
No. Uh, Mogadat solve for happy. Yeah. yeah. So um, Mogadat was um, uh, the ex chief business officer for Google, and he was an engineer. And he tried to use like an engineering mind to solve like an emotional problem. Yeah. And that's what the whole book is about. <laughs> so it's, it's just really funny that we try to do that so much. And again, that's sort of going against that grain. Yeah. You know, if you are more masculine, you identify that way. And it is sort of coming from a societal understanding or even a toxic understanding of masculinity. And you try to use that but it's really going against your true nature of yeah. what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's not going to work. It work. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's so funny. I was speaking to a dear friend the other day whose marriage has just ended like literally a week ago. And he said something like, um, yeah, I've just got to get through the next few weeks and then, you know, I'll be good. And I was like, okay, cool. So just so you know, <laughs> I was like, I'm three years into my marriage ending ish, roughly three years. And like I still grieve, like I still have days where I'm like, oh my gosh, and it's overwhelming. And, and I'm like, just let it be what it needs to be. And if right now you need to go into activity and action to push the pain away, like that's okay as well. I'm, I'm, as long as you don't stay there. Yeah. And just know that it's a big deal and it's going to take a while and that's okay. And I think we have this culture of like getting over things like you got, you got to get over it or oh, he's not over you or she's not over you or are you over it? And it's like, you know, someone said to me at my dad's funeral who had also lost his dad and it was the best piece of advice and the most peaceful, calming thing that I've been able to take through my life. And he said, you won't get over it. You'll just get used to living with it. Mm. And it was just, you won't get over it. You're just going to get used to living with it. And it was like, fuck, it changed my whole approach to like, mm my dad's death. Like the goal isn't to get over it. Like right. I fucking love my dad. Like I don't right. want to get over the fact that he died. Right. I just want to be able to function again and get used to it and yeah. understand that this is now my life. My yeah. life is now Sarah, whose dad's passed away. Right. And that's and the same with when our marriages end or anything happens. It's like, you don't get over it. Like you were married, you had this beautiful bond with somebody and now you have to get used to living a life without that beautiful bond, but that bond has transformed and will continue to transform mm -hmm. in many cases. And it's just getting used to this new way of being. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Whether it's the death of um, a loved one or an ending of a marriage or an ego death. Yeah. Right? Like none of these things are comfortable. No. And I do believe that there are some of those things that you never, ever get over because totally. it's it's kind of impossible. No. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. am I ever going to get over the fact that my primary parent, that my mother birthed me, but then rejected any relationship with me? Probably yeah. not. But I, I certainly am functioning. Yeah. Right. And like really diving into that and yeah. being able to like flourish out of that. And getting used to it, learning to live with yeah. it, learning to understand it, learning yeah. to operate in the world that yeah. it created. Yeah. I mean, I haven't spoken to her in 16 years. I'm like, was I used to it, quote unquote, for 16 years? Hell no. <laughs> You don't get used to that, no. right? But like now I'm starting to be like, okay, now that I can like formulate, um, not engineer, I don't want to use maybe that <laughs> word, but like I can accept it and accept where she was at and sort of honor her for the, in the intention. Like she didn't have this intention no. when she birthed me, yeah. right? It just, it happened. And it's, and it's, you know, sort of the, the other things that she couldn't control, like mental illness and whatnot. Um, so yeah, getting used to like accepting that and learning how to live with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's kind of the best we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a better goal to have. Yeah. To it's, like, it's more realistic. 
you know? It is. And, and, and I think the reality is it's, it's the people closest to us that we and they, they are going to cause the most pain. And that is actually part of the essence of life, like letting people in and being so intimate that the pain will come up there and it will be stronger and more hurtful. But we can't live without that because that is living without intimacy. Right. You know, it's going to be our parents that cause us pain and for us as their children. And if we have children and um, it's going to be our lovers and our best friends and our marriages and those are the closest relationships. And it's so hard because we would never want to hurt someone that we love that much. But the pain of all of our stuff that comes into contact with each other is felt the greatest with those who are closest to us. So the only way to avoid the pain is to avoid connection and love. And that is not the point of any of it. (laughs) (laughs) That would literally be death to me. Yeah. Because deep, meaningful relationships and intimacy and connection and affection and all of the stuff that goes along with that, that's like the reason I'm here. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and just making peace with the fact that there will be pain there, and yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Because the alternate is having arm's length relationships. That, what is that? Yeah. Like, why are you even being a human? Right. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> I feel like that's a natural close to what was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so yeah. much, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. I love it. I love that this is. January of your year of vulnerability and this is a pretty good way to get it started. (laughs) Uh, This is the best way to get it started. (laughs) Thank you for sharing everything you did. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of In My Truth. You can find the show notes on my website under the tab podcast or sarahregelhuth.com forward slash in my truth podcast. To stay updated on all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app. We cover some pretty intense stuff in our episodes. So if anything is coming up for you, please don't be afraid to reach out for help. In the show notes of every episode, you'll find a list of resources, but good friend Google will always be able to help you depending on where you're located in the world. Remember, you're not alone and there is hope, even though it may not feel that way at times. Talk to someone, a friend or family member and let them support you. Reach out to a professional, do whatever you need to start your journey back to feeling good. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, either publicly or anonymously, head to my website and book in. Once again, it's sarahregelhoof.com forward slash in my truth podcast. Thanks again for being here.